We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Well, welcome back. As we head into hour two, there was so much going on politically. Phone wasn't going to do it. I had to bring George Kaloff in, and he is in studio with us. He is the managing partner at the Resolute Group and the president of Data Orbital Consulting. He is uh, one of the finest minds and political analysts and consultants in the country. We are delighted he uh, hangs his uh, shingle here in Phoenix and that he is a friend to uh, ours and this show. George, welcome back. It's good to have you in studio. Always great to see you, Seth. You were catching me up on some stuff at the uh, top of the hour break, uh, so I'm, I'm going to just make you come in from now on. I, I won't make you, <laughs> but uh, uh, and also have to give you some instructions on where to go for lunch. <laughs> yes. It sounds to me like you went to a restaurant, the kind of which... Uh, uh, Swanson, Swanson on Parks and Rec would say, uh, that looks like the food my food eats. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, George, uh, pregnant political week. Uh, there's, of course, the uh, Joe Biden document scandal begging questions about whether there's an effort to get someone else to be the standard bearer for the Democratic Party in 2024. And Donald Trump is weighing in heavily on the budget negotiations. I don't know if you saw a video he just put out to his fellow Republican caucus members. Don't touch Social Security or Medicare. Uh, Then, of course, others have been weighing in. Nikki Haley has been doing the interview circuit, kind of teasing that she's thinking about whether she may want to enter the race uh, for the presidency. That's just at the national level. Also in Washington, D.C. today, I know a cause near and dear to you. Uh, the March for Life is taking place. You've marched in it. I've been mm-hmm. in it. Um, interesting. First time it's happened since Roe versus Wade has been overturned. So they're now going to focus on the states and, of course, messaging directly uh, to uh, women. What was the name of that great organization you were sponsoring at your house that I loved so much, that locally based organization? Choices Pregnancy what? Center. Yeah, that, just great group, great group. So there are alternatives. There are choices, right? Choices was yes. part of their name. Choices Pregnancy Center. What am I missing? What should we be thinking about? Or do you want to weigh in on any of what I just unloaded? Yeah, lots to unpack. Let's, okay. as we usually try to do, let's start national and okay. we can talk yep. about some of the, the, the local stuff. So, I mean, look, nationally, I think the you know document stuff, and we touched on it last week a bit, it continues to get worse, frankly, and they don't really have good answers. And as the some of the political punditry on the left has started to privately and honestly say, man, you guys are really messing this up. Once again, scandal happens and they're just not managing it well. We'll see what comes of it. Again, I think, uh, and I don't disagree, I think the American people in, in polling that's come out and just anecdotally, they really want like things to be solved. So I just don't know if the sexiness of this scandal is going to bear fruit long term with the average uh, uh, American but the thing that is actually very serious, and I've been trying to keep close tabs on it, is the budget negotiations and the debt ceiling and the brinksmanship, if you want to call it that, or and then the um, the accusations flying back and forth. And the thing that I think is the most pointed to me, and um, Joe Manchin on the left and the Senate said something like, like this, and then Don Bankett on the right, both of which are moderate with respect to their parties, uh, Don Bankett being in the House, said something like, it is not reasonable to not be willing to negotiate. And the Biden administration has announced they, unlike the Obama and Clinton administrations, they have announced they will not negotiate. 
Right. Jean-Pierre in the briefing said it is a non-negotiable, dead on arrival, whatever phrase you want to use, we're not going to negotiate. And apparently it's because they, quote, learned from the Obama years that when you negotiate with people that are holding you hostage, then they end up feeling empowered. And again, they're treating um, half of America and the other party as if they're negotiating with terrorists, which is just a horrific sort of metaphor to even use. But that's kind of what they're insinuating. That's how they talk about us. We are a threat to democracy. A vote for a Republican is a threat to the Constitution. So, I mean, it's serious. And look, I'm not going to pretend like I have any solutions for it. But what I know is that we can't just not negotiate. We can't also just keep limitlessly upping the uh, debt ceiling because at some point we're spending money that's not ours and we're just sort of doing it into perpetuity. And we know that apparently we're getting there faster because of the loan forgiveness and other stuff. So that's a very serious thing. And I think there was very clearly... Uh, and again, I'm almost very careful to use the word mandates, but there was a there was a desire by the American people to cause split government, which tends to make things go slower and tends to like the last time if this happened, that was really pointed in the 90s, where was kind of the last time that we had even a remotely balanced budget on the Clinton years yeah. because you had to negotiate. Right? right. And that's what Speaker Gingrich did with the Clinton White House and all that, how it played out, obviously, with much larger majorities back then. But. We cannot keep, you know, we can't lose sight of that. And I think that is a big thing that's happening nationally, that the American people, it should be in our face, even if it's not going to actually come to fruition, they're saying, until June when we really cannot pay our bills. Yeah, it's interesting what you must, what we what we might try and psychologize is going on in the Biden White House right now as far as the document scandal wedded to this issue, that there is a, there's, there is no question in my mind, that every member of the senior and junior staff of the administration holds their breath every time Joe Biden goes to the microphone. And he stepped in it again a bit yesterday, saying he has no regrets over what happened with the documents and that there's no there there. That's just not credible and it's not believable that he has no regrets. If at a minimum, I would say he would have regret saying so much about Donald Trump's problems on 60 Minutes. But to say you have no regrets when a special prosecutor has been appointed just is not saleable. I, I think they all know that they are dealing with someone who is at best feeble. And maybe that's why they don't want to enter negotiations because it would make him look even weaker. But my gosh, he doesn't have to do the negotiations. He can send in Janet Yellen. He can send in his OMB people and he can do it with Chuck Schumer, uh, I'm sure. Uh, It's a weird – uh, it's a weird digging in of the heels of this administration, it seems to me. It is. It is. And I, I would assume part of the reason why they're digging in and kind of the the warning flag I would throw up for Republicans that are negotiating on this, the last number of times that we have pl- sort of done this, and I want to say played this game because it trivializes, but done this back and forth, it has not ended well for us. And, it's, and I should say not Three just times for times in us, a row almost, right? It has not yeah. ended well for the party that right. causes the cliff. Right. And look, we can talk about it all day long and say we need to have better messaging. And sometimes it's forced errors, unforced errors on the Republican side that causes it. But the other thing we just have to come to terms with is that the majority of the media is not in our side. And so Americans are going to be pumped full of information about how we as Republicans are causing this. So we we have to be very cognizant of that. We are not dealing in an even negotiation on an even playing field. There are other ramifications and things at play and not just because of electoral and political impacts in 24 But we need to be very serious and intentional about how we as Republicans deal with this newfound majority. We have a real legitimate chance of taking the Senate and actually forcing um, a divided government in the worst case if we can't take back the White House or actually having all three again. And then we're definitely going to have a mandate to get something done. And, And I mean, 
well, we honest. don't have what we don't have is a huge majority, as no, you were pointing no, out, and that's a very delicate position in which to dig your heel, our heels, our yes. side's heels in on, and they're very much aware of that. I mean, up until DocuGate or whatever you want to call it, uh, Caralago, I heard someone say, call it Caralago. <laughs> I've been trying to get Corvigate into the uh, into the into uh, into the parlance, um, but uh, up until that. You know, sidelined the administration. They were strutting around having, you know, stopped the red wave and they had strutting rights. They had some bragging rights on that. So yeah. it's something we need to understand, too. Yeah. And, and look, his numbers, I mean, you can't it doesn't lie. His numbers are the best that they've been since the the, the horrific withdrawal from Afghanistan. Again, you and I have every week kind of tracked yeah. the new news of the week and the day and the and the trajectory of how the administration has walked it, and he is in a decent position. This is a step back for him. There's a long road to go before 24. You're seeing some interesting kind of, again, clamoring and noise on the Republican side that obviously is going to have an effect. But the most important thing is, and we talk about it even in in Arizona, which I'm sure we'll get to uh, before we wrap up, how will we and how are we solving the actual problems of the day and which party is going to deliver, whether they're delivering things that we think are horrible. But if the people feel like something is being delivered by the Democrats and we're just sort of clanging some pots and making noise, which, again, I don't believe that we do. But if that's the perception, we know perception is reality. We're in some real trouble. We need substantive things to get done in order to be able to run on them and cast a vision for the future of our country and our state. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, it is not enough. I think this was perhaps some of our faulty faulty thinking going into 2022, some some of our faulty thinking, not all of our faulty thinking, that, uh, as, uh, as Chesterton put it, you cannot be a saint on someone else's sins, at least not in politics. We thought— that the failures of the Biden administration uh, on the uh, on any number of levels. You mentioned Afghanistan. We could talk about, of course, the the Ukraine Russia fight. No nowhere end in sight. We could talk about you know the baby formula shortage. We could talk about the price of gasoline. We could talk about inflation. So many things that was not enough. Those sins were not enough to make us saints to the American people. Let's pick up on that and look at the Republicans. Um, Uh, When we come back on the other side of the break and also invite anyone who wants to call in and ask George uh, a question about anything political. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. George Kaloff from the Resolute Group and Data Orbital is in studio with us. Happy to take any political uh, questions uh, you have. 602-508-0960. Let's see if Fred has uh, something politically related here on the debt for us. Fred, hi. You're in Fountain Hills. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. I just have a, a question, a blaring question to me. Is they say we haven't defaulted on our national debt yet? We're thirty-one trillion dollars in debt. Right? How are we ever going to pay that back? It's a it's a damn good question, Fred. And uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm going to get uh, I'll get someone like Brian Riedel on. He's he's probably the best budget analyst in D.C. on our side that a lot of us uh, go to for those answers. I'll get him on next week to discuss that. You know, when you think about these budget deficits, George, um, I was uh, for fun. Did I mention this? I, I hope I, I'm not repeating myself. But if I am, it maybe bears repeating. I was watching the old Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan debate from 1980. 
And Reagan was blasting Carter for a $60 billion budget deficit, a $60 billion but, mm-hmm. uh, deficit. That was budget deficit, $60 billion. Um, our, um, our deficits are incredible now. Our budget deficits are in our national debt, of course, is the result of that. You think about where we went in just four years of budgets. Uh, Donald Trump's first budget was half the budget we're spending now. There's no excuse for it. It doubled. The, it doubled from three trillion to six, three plus trillion to a six plus trillion budget, and it doesn't seem to me that in 2019 we were running around starving as a country. It seems to me that we were actually uh, building a great American uh, level of prosperity. Now I know COVID came, but you know that level of spending doesn't need to still go on. I still think three trillion plus is too high, but. The other thing that you know we constantly and continually get reminded of is so much of the budget is non-discretionary. Uh, so I think we really do have to roll up our sleeves and contra Donald Trump um, start thinking about reforms to some of these automatic uh, expenditures that go into what are known as uh, you know what are known as mandatory sp- spending. I think we do need to start thinking about how we can c- curtail uh, certain social security benefits at least. If uh, if we're going to start thinking about really getting a handle on our budget, it's that non-discretionary spending that's about seventy percent of our budget right now. It's not all, it's not all within the control unless we pass major and serious uh, reform along the lines of entitlements. I, I think we have to do it. It's not going to be popular, yeah. but if we can get people who can explain it, maybe they'll understand the necessity of it. I don't know what you think about that. Look, I, I'm not a, obviously by no means a budget expert, but I, I do like to think I know a thing or two about then the application and the public perception yeah. about all this. And I mean, look, let's just take a quick detour and look at what's happening in France. They're arguing over raising their retirement from 62 right. to 64, which, by the way, pales in comparison. I mean, we're in the 70s now. Yeah. Where we have a whole different lifestyle. And the French and the people in Europe give Americans a hard time, work to live, live to work. Yeah. But setting all that aside, I mean, it is causing like major issues for their budgets. There's hundreds of thousands of people apparently on the street. The reason why Macron was elected the first time was because of something similar to this. Jacques Chirac tried this years ago, and it failed because people went to the street, and they want to solve it by raising taxes on the wealthy, which they have one of the highest taxes on the wealthy to begin with, and other things like that. I'm bringing that up to say this. In America, in Arizona, whatever it is, when you start giving people something, and then you ask that people to take it away, what do we think is going to happen? So we give people everything. We give people free, whatever it may be. It could be the world's best thing, or it could be the most horrific thing. Try taking that away. That is one of the toughest things. And again, that doesn't require a budget budget expert to understand that. That requires someone who understands the perception and the the, the psychology of of a human being. And then also, how do you sell that? So look, some of these things, and- Once that needle's in the arm, uh, Margaret Thatcher said, so why she couldn't touch national health care. Right. It Once is, the needle's in the arm, you can't take it out, or the, it's very hard. Some of these tough issues, Seth, require not just larger-than-life personalities. They require people to risk and, frankly, give their careers yeah. to get it done because yeah. it's the right thing to do, and it requires a level of courage, frankly, that we don't often see. And I'm not going to obviously name any names, but we just don't often right. see it. I'll say it like that. Yep. Tough things that have passed have political consequences, yep. and you may pay the price, yep. but issues – and there's a whole myriad of them. And I always say this. If Nancy Barta had to give up, for example, her state Senate seat to hold the line on a li- on an issue as critical as, as, as the life issue, 
I said it and I've heard her say it and I've heard other people that support her say it, then so be it because yeah. that issue is too important. Worth the fight. It requires larger than life courage. And unfortunately, you always name these big, big historical names that have larger than life personalities. We, we don't have a we're at a serious lack of that right. lately. Yeah, we are. So you may lose an election, but you might end up in a chapter of some kind of book called Profiles and Courage. And, you know, I think we. I I am still mystified, George. I'm a little bit – I think I'm a little bit older than you. Um, I am still mystified about how we so lost control of the argument about giving a Social Security option, not privatizing it. That's what the Democrats called it, but giving an option on Social Security for people of means to steer some of their money into investments of their own choosing rather than the Social Security system so that we could start getting a handle on that entitlement. I mean, the Democrats clobbered us with it, and I still am mystified as to how that could happen. Um, I guess Republican training and talking and thinking is how that happens. We're not up for the fight. We're not up for the discussion. Yeah, and look, not enough of us are. And, and sometimes, and I don't know about Social Security, let's take empowerment, for example, yeah. empowerment scholarship accounts right, in Arizona. Right, right. It took someone like Speaker Toma right. and the governor right. to – Quote, take us over the cliff in the words of the other side, right. and we've lived. Yep. It Sometimes it just takes you doing that. Look at what DeSantis and Ducey and others did during COVID. Yep. I mean, like, it takes you to, to do it. Yep. You get absolutely pummeled. Yep. And then if, if, if you're, you know what you're talking about, though, you can survive it. Look you at live C- to fight CF another day. Ron DeSantis in Florida. You right. live to fight another day. Right. Right. But when you cower, mm-hmm. my dad always said this growing up to me when we studied sort of when we had these deep political historical conversations. He said, anytime people give up their beliefs and their values and they and they buckle under pressure, they lose their allies and they never were going to gain the other people to begin with. That's right. Always. That's right. They lose their allies and they don't get other people to. Uh, yes, I have seen this phenomenon. Can you stay a while? Let's do it. I've seen this phenomenon with quote unquote moderate Republicans, like when I was in Massachusetts, Bill Weld was running for Senate against John Kerry, and he thought he would have a chance because he was a popular governor. And the thinking there, I just think it is so deranged, quite frankly, to assume that because you're the kind of Republican Democrats say the Republican Party should hire and promote more of, that Democrats, when it comes to November 2nd or November 4th or you know voting day, are going to say, you know what, I'm going to vote for the guy who gives me 60 percent of what I want rather than the guy that gives me 100 percent of what I want. It's not the way Democrats think. It's not. And I think it's a bad way for Republicans to think, too, all of which is to substantiate, I think, what your dad said. Take a position. Know the position. Let's hope it's a virtuous position, but run with it and know it and pummel the other guy with it rather than letting the other guy pummel you with it or being wishy-washy. And Churchill said it's hard to look up to someone who has their ear to the ground. There's a time and a place to come together and compromise but that only that has limitations to get good policy passed. Sometimes you have to soldier on. All right, let's pick up on uh, a couple uh, light uh, announcements for the presidency that took place this past week as well when we come back. George Kaloff is our guest, and I'm, of course, Seth. And if you have questions of George, 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth. Delighted to have George Kaloff in studio with us. He is with the Resolute Group and Data Orbital Consulting, uh, one of the finest political consultants I know, and we are delighted to have him here in Phoenix, as I am to have him in studio. Play you a little audio uh, today uh, from uh, today, uh, George, and get your take on the larger um, 
meaning of it all here. <laughs> but let's see if I got this. In the new year, how are those Nikki teams Haley looking? Are Bear. you going to run for president? Well, I'm not going to make an announcement here, but when you're looking at a run for president, you look at two things. You first look at, does the current situation push for new leadership? The second question is, am I that person that could be that new leader? Yes, we need to go in a new direction. And can I be that leader? Yes, I think I can be that leader. I was as governor. I took on a hurting state with double-digit unemployment, and we made it the beast of the Southeast. As ambassador, um, you know, I took on the world when they tried to disrespect us, and I think I showed what I'm capable of at the United Nations. So do I think I could be that leader? Yes, but we are still working through things, and we'll figure it out. I've never lost a race. I said that then. I still say that now. I'm not. Not sure if we needed a new leader, but if we do, I think I am that new leader, she says. Um, I get it. I mean, you know, you can't uh, – she's testing the waters, as they say. And uh, a lot of people, I suppose, are now going to be spending a lot of uh, travel in New Hampshire and Iowa and South Carolina. What other states are they going to be spending time in? Nevada, of course. Um, I have my own thoughts, which is I hope she doesn't get in, but uh, – I, I I really want Ron DeSantis to run. You don't have to declare anything. But what's your analysis of the state of the race for presidency right now? Yeah, I, I don't disagree with her two questions. I would add a couple other questions, though, as sort of an insider or politico. Um, third question is, do I have the structure and apparatus yeah. to actually pull this thing yeah. off? Yeah, that's, Fourth that's question is, can I raise enough money to be able to fund that structure and apparatus to be able to even compete? Look, other than the larger-than-life personalities, and again, we just have to admit it on our side, we don't have an ability for like a Bernie Sanders uh, and this groundswell of $5 donors. Our people donate. We don't behave in the same way. Uh, Donald Trump did it. He's unique. Carrie Lake has done it in Arizona. She's unique. Like there's, there's ways to do it, but it's not easily replicatable. We also know at a presidential level it's a whole other ball of wax. So there's other questions that kind of come down the line. Do I have the staying power? Um, and so, look, governors tend to make good presidents. I think the first question is is easy in the sense of like, yeah, I mean, our party needs leadership. I mean, it, this is not like a, a knock on uh, uh, Trump or anyone else. It's just in general, the party needs vision. Should be able to name more than four people. Right. The party yeah. needs vision. There's no question about it. Now, the am I the solution? Of course. And I always say this. Anyone who runs for public office or has the idea of running for public office has to have some level of ego to believe that they can do it better than others. And that's OK. I mean, I, if, you know, I, I have an ego to think I can run my company better than someone else could run it right great but there's a lot of other factors and i just um i think this moment calls for a larger than life personality um i i think obviously nikki haley did an amazing job as governor i don't know that she has that for president i know people have talked about mike pence and and pompeo but again uh, money and structure and apparatus and frankly grassroots mobility because the the holy grail right now in the in the current status of the Republican Party today, whether you're running for president or you're running for dog catcher, is can you triangulate the conservative grassroots base with the center-right people that even if they're conservative or not are in power, right? So to me, establishment versus non-establishment isn't about just moderate and conservative. It's about are you in power or are you out of power? Activists inherently are out of power because they are the they are the grassroots. And it doesn't matter if you're moderate grassroots or conservative. And the establishment is inherently in power, whether you're super conservative or moderate. Can you triangulate the two sides? That takes a very specific personality type. One of the interesting fights, and it may not have tall legs, but one of the interesting things I'm seeing on social media in the fight between DeSantis and Trump, and it's one I didn't see coming, but it makes sense now that it's here, is the fight over vaccinations. 
you know, that Trump is still very much uh, touting and promoting that he's the one that got the vaccinations done, while Ron DeSantis is promoting and touting that he would not enforce them and stood against it. And there is there is kind of a bit of a second thought about those vaccinations, more than kind of a second thought about those vaccinations and the vaccine mandates, particularly in our party. Trump may have to find some new issues to run on. May not be easy. May not be easy. Yeah. I mean, everyone in their time, I always say that everyone in their time, it's going to be very interesting to see how the Trump of today plays in today. And it doesn't matter the Trump of 16 or 20. It's about today. That's exactly right. Reagan learned that 1980 was different than 1976. George Kaloff and I, I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. George Kaloff, political consultant, is with us, the Resolute Group and Data Orbital. Uh, am I missing anything? Any other organizations you want to mention? I launched a new education PR firm called First Day late last Fantastic. year. Fantastic. Fantastic. Educational choice, educational freedom, educational excellence. Yes. Make sure we don't do a lot of what we've been doing, reform, <laughs> achievement. John is in Phoenix. You're on with George and me. How are you, John? Yes, good, Seth. Seth, I've uh, I met you before. I, uh, I you recommended books, and I appreciate what you do. I very much appreciate what well, you thank do. Thank you. Two brief things I want to say to you, Seth, and then I want to ask George sure. a couple of brief questions. Sure. You are right on with the graduate. When I was a young man and a teenager, teenager, that was my number one film of all films. It's uh, yeah, it's a great movie. I mean, Mike, you know, Mike Nichols. <laughs> yeah, uh, I believe Mike Nichols. Yeah. Uh, the, the Alfa Romeo yep. and, and uh, yep. uh, Catherine Ross and April. Simon Kennedy and Garfunkel. Right yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Good for you, John. CSN, Thank you. CSN, I have to kindly disagree with you. Not Southern Cross, but Sweet Judy Blue Eyes or Stuff with Neil, Neil Young. Uh, okay. All right. A matter of taste. We're just going to have a matter just, of tasteful just, disagreement. It's okay. I'm just razzing you. No, That's it's so fine. Okay. It's, it's the most important stuff is our culture. That's good. And we will revisit you in regards to books. I, I will call you in a couple of okay. weeks or so to start thinking of some recommendations. Oh, good. Okay? I love that kind um, of conversation. That'd be wonderful, John. Thank you. Okay, George, uh, George, and I don't know whether you want to take these when I hang up uh, and discuss them, but here's, here's one in particular. I, I'm not hearing it discussed enough. I do hear uh, Mark Levin speak about it, uh, and, and he certainly critiques. But uh, can you talk about uh, your take on Mitch McConnell and what what is this guy doing for conservatives? What is he doing for Republicans? I mean, I just don't get what he what this guy's doing and what's going on and what his motives are, other than his own personal motives. But uh, what was the purpose of, of of negotiating with Schumer on the one point seven trillion and rushing it in before the new house? Uh, so I'd like you to discuss your take on Mitch McConnell. And then the second point. I used to be a marketing um, a marketing analyst. So when you talked about mainstream media, something jumped at me. It was like, what percentage of Republicans, and I don't know if you know, but what percentage of Republicans are getting their main news or information from mainstream media? Um, I don't know if anybody does, has done any major analysis on that. I assume some have. Uh, Republicans and undecided, because obviously they're getting biased information. They're not getting the truth. Great um, questions, John. And, and you, yeah. No, if you I have a third, you can throw it out. Go ahead. No, those are the two. Okay. So Mitch McConnell and the, the mainstream media, because that's a big issue. I yeah. mean, yeah. I mean, if the general public 
if the general public, let's say the general public is 80% and they are getting that news from mainstream media, well, then it looks like Republicans are a bunch of who uh, uh white supremacists, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's obviously a huge, huge issue. And, and we're going to have to get conservatives are going to have to find a right way to get information to those people so that yes. they get the truth. Thank yeah. you, John. So, again, Mitch no, good McConnell, stuff. mainstream media. Yeah, 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 yeah. good stuff. Ready. I think we got him. So yeah. uh, Mitch McConnell as leader and how do you think these guys get their news? And I'll weigh in on both when you're yeah. done. Yeah, let me let me start with the latter because I think it may even help inform the, the former. So I think part of the problem that we're uh, in and the reason why we're here as a nation and as a state is because we are getting our news from completely different sources. I actually think Republicans get their news from very distinct sources. And I don't I'm not saying like I have a percentage in mind. We've done some loose polling around this. But I'll tell you, yeah, of course, Republicans are disproportionately getting their news um, from Fox News. And then when you are not happy with Fox News, you're going to sites as eclectic as uh, uh, Epic Times, to Gateway Pundit, to OANN, to Newsmax, you name it. So, I mean, it, it really is wide, and there's a lot of stuff happening on social media. And then you talk about the left, and you know, TikTok, for example, is the news source for 30% of Gen Zers. So, right, that's a, that's a statistic that's widely kind of talked about, and we know that that's majority people on the left. And so, imagine your news from OANN and from TikTok. Those are going to be not just opposite, polar opposite. It's a wide valence. CNN is now trying to apparently remake themselves and they're trying to bring on a comedian. You've got MSNBC that's way over there. So part of the problem that we're facing, John, is that we are getting our news from disparate sources. And so we and because we don't believe as a nation in eternal truth anymore, at least a segment of us don't, then all of a sudden the same piece of information can be talked about on five different news sources and we could have 10 different opinions on it. And then, you know, now you add in the complexity. And again, I know I'm going on some rabbit trails, but it's important. Some of the deep fake stuff around the AI and some of these fake videos where people are like they're literally making fake videos of elected officials or others saying things that actually never happened and then foreign interference in elections. I mean, holy smokes, not to say another word that we can't say on air. We really are facing a, an issue. And so to then parlay that to the first point, look, our elected officials then are, are, are essentially we're talking about we already have divided country more divided arguably than in the last bit i'm not going to say most divided in, in our history because again i like to remind people in the 1800s we killed each other okay so we had the civil war and it was a very divided time but we're very divided now and so you've got elected officials depending on who they're trying to quote please so yeah if you're trying to get things done in dc that's a very different outlook for how you conduct yourself versus if you're trying to make stuff happen in your home state or you're trying to make stuff happen nationally look mitch mcconnell's not going to run for president so he's not trying to make every american everywhere in the in the nation happy so that's a factor in terms of how he conducts himself and then his dynamic for example with whoever was gonna you know assume the speakership in that in the house he obviously knew likely to be kevin mccarthy and how he conducts himself i mean like look we wouldn't have the the dynamic that we have if uh, mcconnell didn't fast track judges and then there's other stuff like yeah i, I can't explain why he would want to push through a 1.7 trillion dollar package before we took back the house other than for, I suppose, ease of use. But look, he's the longest serving leader that we have had in the Senate. And I, I mean, it's you you start to ask yourself these decisions that are being made, whose interests are they serving and who is the constituency that he's trying to win over? Uh, and then it's very clear that there's even differences of opinion between him, for example, and Rick Scott, who was a senator who was head of the Republican senatorial committee. So even within the D.C. bubble, we don't get agreement. And so but that has to do with the second question. I know you may have asked them completely separately, but, you know, how we're receiving our media and the outlook of the American people 
the, the a Republican today and your average Democrat today, we probably don't even have friends that cross party lines often. We don't receive each other's news. This is why I very intentionally have never removed people, no matter how much I don't dis- I disagree with their information. I've never removed people from my social media because, Seth, if we do that, how are we ever right. going to know what right. anyone disagrees with us on if we're right. just in our own bubble? And how are we ever going to convert them? I had a caller in the first hour talking about that with me. You know, if you dismissed Ronald Reagan because he was campaigning for FDR in 1944, Frank Sinatra because he was campaigning for JFK in 1960, how silly would you feel? I mean, we are a party that relies on recruiting, relies on evangelicals, uh, evangelizing our position, relies on converting people with one-third, 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 roughly. You'd have the numbers better, but as a one-third, one-third, one-third country, uh, we don't own it. We have to rely on converts. We have to bring people to our side. Let me take a stab at some of that as well and add to what you said, George. Uh, yeah, let me get one point out now and one point on the other question when we come back. I think a lot of it also has to do with what the Senate majority leader or the Senate party leader views their job as. If you look at the recent history of Republican Senate leaders, uh, Mitch McConnell, Bob Dole, these are not people that make you want to storm a mountain. Remember what Newt Gingrich called Bob Dole, the tax collector for the welfare state. You know, it goes back to your point of these larger than life personalities. The Senate, you know, he may have a view of his job that is different. Newt Gingrich's view of his job was to change the way America thought about itself. These are not thoughts Mitch McConnell has any more than they were thoughts Bob Dole has. And the House is a little bit different from the Senate. Let me pick up on this when we come back. I, I might be onto something. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Uh, working on an interesting set of questions from John about the Mitch McConnell leadership in the Senate and also where they get their news from, which George Kaloff, our guest this hour, you're right, George, to kind of fold these together. I was simply making the point right before the break that the Republican Party leader in the Senate has never been um, has never been the type that makes one want to storm a hill like one might think of uh, from like a Newt Gingrich or other party uh, party elected officials that we like. You think about the Senate. We have 49 members of the Senate we were just talking about off air. We could probably name five off the top of our heads that represent who we kind of feel the Republican Party should be represented by, right? Josh Hawley. I think we all have great expectations from the newly elected J- uh, J.D. Vance. Uh, Ted Cruz. Uh, on some issues, Mike Lee. On some issues, Rand Paul. But after that, it gets a little thin, doesn't it? Uh, we start kind of going. <laughs> so we're now looking at basically about 10 percent of the Senate are the kind of Republicans that I think you and I and a lot of the audience are and the kind of Republicans that um, that that uh, that we wish the party were more of. That's a unique problem in the Senate. And it, it depends on the role these people feel they should play. I wish we had someone stronger personally uh, and someone who does make you want to storm a hill. I wish we had more Newt Gingriches, but think about the House. I mean, Newt Gingrich was in many respects a one-off, and it didn't last that long before, you know, um, before he had to go, and then we were represented in the Speaker of the House by someone who was, you know, maybe even more bland than Mitch McConnell uh, and Denny Hastert. Uh, we we just don't, to your earlier point from the first segment, we don't have a lot of these larger-than-life figures that come around. We need to do better at it. You know, my, my thing has been that the parties, particularly at the state 
level need to do a better job of recruiting candidates because they will come from the states with these national leaders. The issue of news does feed into it, and I think you're right to put them to, to, to fold them together, George. One of the interesting things in staffing in Washington, D.C. is you cut and select news for your boss, for your leader, for the head of the think tank, for the head of the office, whatever, and you kind of get a sense of what they want to read. You kind of get a sense of what sources they like. You kind of get a sense of what issues they want to read more about. And, you know, my guess is (laughs) that the Mitch McConnell staff – is cutting articles from a lot of the main a lot of the mainstream now probably not stuff from the nation and probably not stuff from the Atlantic Monthly or the New Republic but more of the mainstream kind of stuff you know it was it was it was kind of made fun of Ronald Reagan that his favorite newspaper was Human Events you know Human Events was Ronald Reagan's first go to and then later the Washington Times it's important i think as a party that we start thinking of ourselves as a party that reads the Times and the Post, but it's the Washington Times and the New York Post and not the New York Times and the Washington Post. George Kaloff, it's so good to see you. So good to have you in studio. Thank you again, John. Uh, we got a, an hour. I want to spend a little uh, time with you coming up uh, on some uh, philosophy and some history and uh, saying something about the march in Washington, D.C. We, George and I meant to get to it. We ran out of time. I'll spend some time on that in the next hour. Don't go away. I got a lot more for you coming right up.